episode 29 of the HMNI Fanzine Podcast. Um, in this episode, I'm interviewing Doug White. Doug White is easily one of the most important members of the Buffalo music scene. For a long time, he's had a studio called Watchman Studios, which has recorded a lot of bands around here. You know, Doug has... He's, you know, with his Studio Watchman Studios, he's he's done a lot for, you know, you know, extreme music around here, all kinds of music around here. Um, he, uh, I went to Watchman with Eric Elman, who knows quite a bit about Doug since he's been in a million bands that have recorded with Doug, and we asked Doug questions about his life, the studio. Um, and a bunch of other things. Doug is truly a renaissance man, as we get into in the in the interview. Doug not only records, he plays in bands, and he builds something called catios. We're going to talk about that in the interview. Um, so listen, it was interesting. I liked going to Doug's studio to, to do the recording of the interview. That was fun. Usually I do the interviews, you know... At my studio, quote unquote. Um, if you want to follow Doug on Instagram, you can either follow him at Watchman Studios or you can follow him at follow him at Cadio Living on Instagram. That's Cadio underscore Living. And as always, the podcast is sponsored by Press Gang Records. Go to pressgangrecordsus.limitedrun.com. Uh, you buy a record tape or CD from there, you put in the promo code hello my name is, you will get 10% off of your order. And without further ado, you can listen to the interview that me, Gus, and Eric Elman did with Doug White. Enjoy. Welcome to the next episode of the HMNI Fanzine Podcast. Today is, uh, I think it's the 29th episode of the podcast. I'm interviewing um, Doug White, owner of Watchman Studios. Say hi, Doug. How are you? Thanks for having me on. Awesome. So I got some, uh, I got some help, too. I have one Eric Elman, veteran of the podcast. How do you do? <laughs> and I have Gus, of course, hanging out doing the pod- for the podcast. Um, I guess we'll get started because we've been here for a while talking about, uh, food. You guys talking about food podcasts? Beans and, beans and cats. Beans and cats. <laughs> In that order. <laughs> so anyway, um, Doug, when did you, uh, really get, when did you discover this love of music and recording? Tell Let's us a little see. about your history and stuff. So the history of the studio. 1989, I got done with college, Art Institute of Atlanta. Came home, didn't really, wasn't really sure what I was going to do, but had a little bit of recording equipment. Had my little associates in recording, audio engineering from Atlanta. Got a job at Record Theater. Uh, and then soon afterwards, a friend of mine called and said, 
hey, there's these kids that uh, want to do a recording, and I know you went to school for it and have a fork track. Would you want to record them? And I said, yeah, sure, that sounds fun. And I went over to their house, and it was a band called The Watchmen. And so I did this little demo on my four track for them. And uh, um, like a week later, I got a phone call and they said, uh, hey, we saw you could play guitar really good. And our guitar player quit. And could you fill in for a show for us uh, since you already kind of know the tunes and you recorded us? So I was like, yeah, it might be fun. I don't have anything else going on. I'm back from college uh, and just working at record theater. Didn't have a band or anything. So I thought, all right, that's cool. So me and my long hair uh, went ahead and practiced once or twice with him. And on a Friday night, we got in a van. I don't really know where I'm going. And we drove up to the River Rock Cafe, and there's a line out the door down the block to we're opening for Slapshot. And I was like, are you kidding me? This is where we're playing? Like, all these people? And they're like, yeah, yeah, it's no problem. We do it all the time. And I'm like, oh, my God, you got to be kidding me. So we went in on stage and played our tunes, and there was bodies flying from one end to the other, and everyone's looking at who the weird new guy is, and and uh, it was a good show, I guess. And afterwards, they were like, oh, hey, uh, you just want to be in the band? And I'm like, do I? <laughs> yeah, I'll be in this band. I thought we were going to go play in front of nobody. Yeah. And um, so then uh, maybe a month or two later, uh, we clear, I cleared out a little part of my parents' basement, and we set up my little four track and and started to do some more demoing, and it it soon started to be referred to as Watchmen's Studio, like as in the band's studio because we were the only ones that recorded there. So <laughs> so we called it Watchmen Studios because it was the the band's studio. Uh, then it didn't take long before. Um, a couple other bands in the scene were like, hey, uh, could you do a demo for us? And I was like, yeah, I guess so, yeah, sure. I asked my parents, hey, can I have some guys over and do some recording? And sure. And then that just snowballed and snowballed for a couple of years. Um, then eventually, long after the band had broken up, the, the name stuck. So we just carried on with the name. So people asked me, like, oh, were you really into the comic book and stuff? And I was like, no, I didn't really know anything about it. I, somebody else named the band for me. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it wasn't really, uh, uh, wasn't really my thing. The band was named after the Watchmen yeah. comic? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, what kind of band was the Watchmen? I would, well, we were in the hardcore scene, that's yeah. for sure. I mean, back then it was not quite as defined uh, with the music you were playing, but... Yeah. Yeah, we like to think we were a hardcore band, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how long was that band together? 80, well, 89 through, I think it finally went fizzily on nine, in 93. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you were recording in your parents' basement. How long was that going on? Parents' basement was probably 89 through 94. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Late, late 94. So what made you decide to get... Did you move into this space, or was it somewhere yeah, else? Yeah, yeah. So I had saved up some money. Probably by, like, 93, I thought, okay, I guess this is what I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. You know, because at first it was a hobby, and then it was like, oh, this is, you know, getting busier, and wow, make a couple dollars at it. And by 93, 94, it was like, oh, uh, okay, I guess this is what I'm going to do. And I had saved up some money, and... um 
I was going to get a place of my own or buy something or rent something. And then I ran into the music store owner, uh, Ralph Fava from Lockport Music Center. Mm-hmm. And he had a little place in uh, on Main Street in Lockport. And then I, um, I said, hey, I'm going to build a studio somewhere. And he's like, oh, we're building a new music store. And um, so he, he's the one who approached me and said, maybe we could put the two together. And I was at first I was like, yeah, maybe, you know, and then he sort of just sold me on the idea. So, mm-hmm. so we moved in here December 95, officially. So, Do you uh, remember who the first band you recorded here was? Envy. Yeah. Envy 7-inch, really? yeah. yeah. Really? I didn't know that. Yeah, I have the dollar on the wall still uh, in I my s- office. I saw that. Like, I, I hadn't been here. I came here with Holdout a few weeks ago, and mm-hmm. I, uh, I hadn't been here since No Reason Recorder, and that was, like, 1997. Was okay. it 97? 97. Yeah, I came here. That was... So it was like 22 years between visits to Watchmen. I wow! Guess. Holy cow! <laughs> well, I don't, you know, I don't really do bands, so it's it's a different thing for me. It yeah. was, the, it was the big news around town when Watchmen got a space. Yeah. I remember like everyone was talking about it. Like, like, did you hear? Doug's not going to be in his parents' basement anymore. He's got like the real deal. <laughs> like he's got the real deal. We're picturing like where the Eagles record. You know, like, he's got. The Yeah, yeah, yeah. It certainly started out in the early days as all hardcore bands. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I mean, with a couple of grindcores thrown in. (laughs) So, did you ever record in the basement? Oh yes, I I recorded in uh, Doug's parents' basement. The the uh, Nevermore demo in late '94. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, was recorded there. You know, I can at this point now I can count on. One hand almost to the people left that were in the parents' basement. Yeah. yeah. There's not many. There's not many. I can only think of like five or six active, still active people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're one of them, right? I know, yeah. yeah. I guess so. <laughs> so Is there any special list? special attributes of that basement that you've missed that you've never been able to capture in the new space? Like, Is there like a concrete wall they had that was well <laughs> if you remember when you walked into the control room there was a hump yes. in the floor yeah and everyone used to trip and yeah. fall like <laughs> walking into it because because the carpet just slowly rose up the hump and you didn't know it oh yeah and yeah it was always fun to see people you know, trip on that but no sound wise the the old the old paneling the old paneling in my pretend wall that i built with two by twos and and didn't really wasn't that soundproofy that much do you have a particular recording from there that really stood out to you i guess yeah certainly the lethargy mm-hmm. the, i mean if it wasn't for lethargy i might not even have a commercial studio mm-hmm. because so um my bass player joe valella got to be friends with a band called moment of truth in rochester then they came and recorded with me through Joe, and then along with them, they brought a friend named Adam who was in a band called Lethargy, and then that was the start of the Rochester business. Mm-hmm. And once Lethargy recorded with me, which now is Mastodon, basically, from two or three of the members, once they recorded with me, um, the floodgates of Rochester bands opened up, and me being in Lockport, kind of in between a little bit, Rochester yeah. and Buffalo, you know... I don't know if I would have been able to sustain myself commercially if it was just like some of the Buffalo bands. I don't know if it would be enough. So it certainly has been 
35 to 40 percent Rochester bands through here over the years, about 35 percent. And I think that's what has been enabled us to keep going. You know, there's there's three types of studios, you know, now left. There's the big giant studios, but they're struggling because um, all of the huge artists, frankly, just have their own studio. Mm-hmm. Then you have a lot of guys in the basement fighting it out for scraps. But there's there's midline guys like me that catch people on the way up and some on the way down <laughs> <laughs> that catch them on the way up and down and and try and stay busy. So yeah, but Rochester certainly was what put me over the top to be able to sustain a commercial business. Yeah. So you're still getting a lot of Rochester business. Yeah, still still rolls in. Okay. Yep. So how? What's I guess. What's the farthest the band has come? Arizona. Uh, really? Yeah, Phoenix. Mm-hmm. There was this one band that, um, I'm trying to think of the name. It was about four or five years ago. There was this one band that two of the people in it were massive Gym Class Heroes fans. And the drummer in this band was a real estate agent who had tons of money. Young guys, too. And they convinced him that they needed to go to the place. Yeah. <laughs> Jim Class Hero. And they all got on a plane and <laughs> and they flew to Buffalo. Now the funny thing about that that I remember is um they were arriving the evening that my band Circus Grenade was doing a show. So I said to them, like, Oh, you should come to the show and they did. So their very first meeting of me was me on stage like with circus grenade so i they must have thought like what the heck have we gotten ourselves into so but they were nice I'm, i can't think of the name but yeah they sounded a lot like you know they tried to sound a lot like gym class heroes and we tried to we tried to duplicate you know yeah. the, <laughs> what we what we did so. so how did those guys end up here gym class heroes well in a sense it's almost like a rochester band because um they're canandaigua mm-hmm. and they certainly played in rochester all the time yeah. so they probably heard about this place so yeah. Yeah. So you re- how like you know you normally record like heavier like you know hardcore, you know punk it, metal bands. It used to be that way, but now it's it's funny. Like this studio certainly always was known for metal, metal hardcore and punk, but I got to say these days that's probably that's probably like 30 or 40%. That's yeah. about it. I mean, now it's tons of solo artists, a lot of acoustic, a lot of indie um so even some EDM and, and different dance stuff. And the metal and hardcore is probably like 30 or 40%. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, how how do, is it word of mouth that the way bands and artists hear about you? Or is it like... You no know? more advertising for me since the mid-90s. I mean, oh, really? no actual advertising. So yeah, just just word of mouth, yeah. And I, I, in the early in the early ni- in the 90s I would take out an, a little ad in art voice or yeah. some sort of magazine and um, make some flyers and put them at music stores and stuff but I don't think there's been any advertising from me like officially maybe since 98 or 9 wow. yeah and you're really busy I hear calendar's full <laughs> it's been full for many years yeah. um you know at different times of the year, it can get ridiculously far ahead to the point where I'm afraid that the bands won't still be a band <laughs> when, when we get to their dates, you know? Yeah, that like in, in the springtime, March and April is when yeah. everyone panics for summer demos. Yeah. 
so all of a sudden the the phone calls just flood in mm-hmm. and it can it can easily be like I can't I don't have a date until August or September wow. when it's April um, and then and then in the and then in the winter or when it's back to school season people mm-hmm. don't know their schedules um, that can sometimes be yeah, like six weeks, six, seven weeks in advance, not too bad, you know, just mm-hmm. a month or so. You know? and, and you, like, stick to your hours and make sure that you I do. carve time for yourself. And... I do. In the early days when the calendar was not so busy, yeah, certainly, you know, evening sessions or whatever a band can get here, we'll take it. And when the calendar got full enough, uh, I found myself, like, any evening sessions that I would do, I was spent for the band the next day. My ears were done and I started to really burn out. And it kind of came down to like, if I'm going to record six days a week, which I have for 24 years now, six days a week, there's been, I added it up on the calendar. There's been 4,300 bands through here since 1995. So yeah, 4,300 is my best estimate on the calendar. Um, but anyways, I just decided no more evening sessions. We run 10 to 6, and it it weeded out a lot of the party yeah. in the bands. You know, like, when it was a 7 o'clock session, the, the girlfriends and the case of beer and a couple of friends are all heading to the studio for a good time that night, and I felt a bit like an entertainer here, you know, rather yeah. than doing good work. Um, yeah. And when it was 10 to 6... It, it sort of it provided for a more serious client that that would plan to take a day off work or possibly make the exception to come in for a full day and it it brought in maybe a little more serious of a client to a point so mm-hmm. and and also it regimented my sleep better oh yeah <laughs> do you live near here yeah I'm about I'm in gasport about mm-hmm. uh, well 12, 12 13 minutes yeah okay you know? um did you ever when you were going to start the studio did you want to have it in lockport or were you maybe thinking buffalo was a better place for it i was i was up for lockport i think Mm -hmm. i don't think i was ruling out some of the surrounding areas but i i just kept thinking um there are some days when um a band needs to finish up one simple vocal that's Mm -hmm. it and i don't actually book anything like a double because because you you can't tell when someone's going to finish but Mm -hmm. I thought to myself, wow, if I have to drive to Lake Tonawanda to do a one-hour vocal session, you know, it might yeah. it might not be worth it. So if we could keep it in Lockport or at least close to where I live, it would probably be more beneficial for the days that aren't big nine-hour, you know, yeah. uh, tracking days. So I think everyone should take a drive to Tonawanda every now and again. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Just, you know. What's in Tonawanda? Nothing. Yeah. <laughs> what isn't? What isn't? <laughs> um... I don't know what isn't in Tonawanda. So okay, so you said those lethargy guys, you know, they became Mastodon. Have they ever come back as Mastodon? No, um, no. Uh, they've, you know, so there's Solaco, which is the other half, mm-hmm. uh, Eric Burke and and those guys, and then uh, Mastodon lives in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Uh, all of, you know, I've I've hung out with them, but certainly no, they haven't been back as that band. Okay. Way out of my pay scale. Yeah, <laughs> way, way out of my pay scale. Is that gym class heroes the most successful thing you've you've recorded? I'd say so. Yes, and they do come back. Yeah, they're back here all the time. Um, they come here at this point and do all their pre production and their writing here, which is mm-hmm. really cool. 
and low pressure for me because I'm, you know, not actually producing something for Atlantic Records uh, yeah. <laughs> for the suits and ties to tear apart, yeah. which is usually what happens in the major label world, which I can't, I just can't deal with it and mm-hmm. never wanted to go that route. Uh, but it's really cool. They they always like to come back here mm-hmm. to the place where it all started for them and do their writing here. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. It's yeah. cool that you're able to do so much, so much stuff in in other realms of music, and even like you were saying now, a large percentage, a larger percentage of your music is of your clientele is is not punk, hardcore, metal related. When like the studio in itself, I've always viewed as you can do anything here, but it. But if you're a punk hardcore metal band, you have a specialized place yeah. that you can go, which is an absolute gift to for a city to have. Yeah. Um, to to have somebody who's because I I you know you hear about other towns and 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 their punk and hardcore and metal history and there's bands there's stories like we went into a studio where they do commercial jingles because that was the only studio in town and the guy all he could do was tell us to turn down and try and put reverb all over everything or this and that but we kind of were super fortunate that 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 you uh decided to do this kind of thing because it really does give us a specialized place that is not that is going to know all the shorthand mm-hmm. and know every you know know what you're talking about when you're talking about pick slides and mm-hmm. gang vocals and and you know these the, these days the gear is all the same everywhere. We're in the old old days, and I mean old you know or late eighties, early nineties. You might pick a studio for what gear they had. Yeah. Oh, they have this board, and oh, they got those mics, and that's right. great. But these days the gear makes no difference really anywhere. But um, who you're working with, you know, and if you come from a background of the music you're doing, that's great. I mean, I get some crazy calls sometimes where somebody will be like, you know, we're a, a six-piece Latin horn band. Would you like to record us? And I'm, I'm like, well, I can, but i got to tell you, I don't know anything about Latin <laughs> horn recording. I mean, I don't know anything about it, so I'm going to be honest with you. Yeah. I might not be your guy. Yeah. Yeah. And then they appreciate, oh, good, you know. you know. <laughs> so, so I... I you, you, Doing the genres you know best is where you're gonna like you know shine. Yeah. And um, but the the variety around here um, is is really nice these days. I'm enjoying it a lot because every day is really new. I go from a from acoustic guitars to to double bass grind all in 24 hours a lot of times. So it's <laughs> it keeps every day interesting. So you've I mean you record you know a lot of different bands and types of bands. Has like since you started has there been anything that you've like something that you didn't think you would be recording that you've not maybe mastered but you've gotten a good handle on recording yeah probably um building songs for solo for a solo artist now, mm-hmm. that's sort of a, a a new specialty maybe in the last few years where i have a lot of singer songwriters that play a little bit of piano or a little bit of guitar mm-hmm. but they have a song yeah. they would like to have a whole band yeah you know on their recording and they come here and I have libraries full of beats and drums and all the instruments they need and anything that they need me to play, I'll just do it for them. Or they can play, or we both play. And building, I I suppose you could call it producing, yeah. But um, for the most part, I don't 
see much of a difference between producing and engineering. I help mm-hmm. out as much as the band needs me to, mm-hmm. but with a solo artist like that, they need all of it. So. That's that's a big difference with you and a lot of other studios. I know. I think the term that I might have heard you say once is you you just get paid like a plumber. Yeah, you know, like it's <laughs> like I don't need to be on your record points system. No. I don't need to get production credit. You know, I'm. You know, it's an hourly fee. Yeah. And whether I tracked all the solos for the band or whether I just hit record and they just played, it's all the same to me. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you, do you play everything like guitar, bass? Yeah, guitar, bass, drums. drums. I mean, my drum skills are, are, are nothing uh, that exciting, but I I can play a little bit. I play the, I play the drums with the mouse. Much better than with my oh, hands. Really? Yeah, because yeah. I can build, I can build a drum track on the software. Yeah. Uh, Is that a? What do people think of that? Building drums on software rather than playing. Oh, in twenty twenty, who cares? Well, yeah, everyone yeah. does it. I mean, if it's a, if it's a solo artist, it's just coming down to like him yeah. saving money. Uh, yeah. Uh, him or her coming in here and not needing a drummer to learn the track, play the track. Yeah. You know, the idea that something you're hearing on the radio these days isn't like a profound magic trick is like absurd. Like every nothing is real. I mean, every, you know, mm-hmm. it's like, sure, you want to sit there and spend all the time and roll in a grand piano and this and that. <laughs> or like for one one hundredth of the money, do you want to just use this MIDI patch I have? And, yeah, yeah. And just yeah. bang it out. Like I think I think it comes down to band versus solo artist too yeah mm-hmm. you know like when it's a band it means something to them to have their drummer on it even though possibly we could grab drums from somewhere else and they yeah. probably might be better but that's not the point yeah mm-hmm. yeah so like a solo artist will come in what are they coming in with when you're building a song for them like what are they kind of well up uh, with? a rough outline can mm-hmm. be the minimal like i have three chords that are a cool melody for a chorus what do you think else we should put in so so we, we kind of write and produce it together all the way to a completely finished track and they know exactly the tempo they're looking for so that sounds crazy to me. i know nothing about recording but that sounds crazy to me that you wouldn't have like everything kind of prepared well, before you show up in the studio <laughs> yeah and you know though some of the songs that we've done with people just on the fly uh winging it together man th- those have come out the best some of my favorite things we just invented that day oh yeah yeah it's like when something is for solo artists when something is ultra planned out but he but they haven't heard it with a band because they don't have a band mm-hmm. when it's very very planned out sometimes it doesn't come out the way they thought yeah where when nothing's planned out it's always a surprise yeah <laughs> yeah that makes sense yeah because I, I was writing i was telling him i was writing songs for my band and like i i you know I, we, played, we played a recording and in my head i was singing it when i came to practice to sing it it just it was not what I what I was singing in my head. So it, right. was, it was just like something completely different. <laughs> so, but we're working it out. So that's that's cool. So, um, so where am I going? <laughs> All right, uh, let's get some Doug's favorite all time hardcore bands. Okay, and, and why? And what what does Doug look for in a in a my favorite hardcore band of all times, that's an easy one. That's Killing Time. Oh, yeah. That's an easy one. Mm-hmm. They, I, There's a sticker on the wall up there that they gave me personally, and I saved it. Yeah. You know, we played with them at the River Rock, and they were always my favorite band, and they were super, super nice to us, too. Mm-hmm. Um, after that, uh, oh, 
it's for me it's a close it's a close call between integrity and judge i would say for yeah integrity those who fear tomorrow like changed us all you know yeah. and that was that was the beginning of it but but then judge came out with such a well-rounded sound uh, production wise yeah. that integrity didn't have in those days um and then i then i'd have to I'd probably have to move over to Agnostic Front then, and mm-hmm. from there on, uh, not the earliest of stuff. I I wasn't I was more into metal in the earliest of Agnostic Front days, but then uh, mid '90s I was all in, and and sick of it all too, of course. So mm-hmm. I think that's that's probably my my top five yeah. or six there. Killing Time, Killing Time, Integrity, Judge, uh, and um, Agnostic Front. I think I think that's that's my top. That's the that's uh, the the serious, powerful. End. Yeah, <laughs> and, and not not the playful. No, punky. and I came out of a. I mean, in college, I was I'm I'm just a, a metal thrash head, yeah. straight up. You know, I mean, from if you looked at my wallet tapes, it was just thrash, thrash, thrash. Yeah. You know, you know. Uh, so when I moved over to hardcore and metal as a as a nineteen year old, yeah. Um, I certainly gravitated towards what's heavier. <laughs> yeah. Well, that, that that judge thing is the perfect example of that. Like when when you started realizing bands were getting real serious was when you heard stuff like this band recorded in a whole LP and at the last minute they scrapped it because yeah. the recording wasn't good enough. Yeah. They're like, look, we're we're a serious band. We need a serious recording. Yeah. They like it was you know they pressed they recorded at Chun King and then they mm-hmm. and then they freaking. Records were getting pressed, and they're like, you know what? I know it's a little, almost too late, but I'm not happy with this, man. We gotta, yeah, it's yeah. not powerful enough or whatever. So the 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 my band members in the Watchmen were certainly introduced, trying to introduce me in those early days to as much as they could, and you know they would play like Gorilla Biscuits. You gotta check this out, yeah. and I'd be like, all right, uh, I don't hear no double bass. <laughs> so I'm like, no, yeah. you know. Yeah, it wasn't wasn't for me. You know? Yeah. Later, I came to appreciate those all those um, uh, more finger pointing sure. uh, genres. You yeah. Know? But uh, uh, it was all heavy for me. Yeah. Also, I know like you're a very technical, progressive type. Uh, like as a player, you're you were always technical, tight kind kind of player. Mm-hmm. And 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 I know you're into the prog thing and the tech thing very much. Mm-hmm. Like, do you think? That that the way that you play technical music like up also applies to to hardcore or do you think there's something different about hardcore punk? There's a different way to be tight or a different way to be technical. Like, yeah. like well, it, as you get more mature in your in your older age, you you realize like the the technical side of it almost means nothing, you know, to the expression and the art. But in the early days of me, it's like you know I don't think that guy can sweep. Right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so I'm not really I'm not really into him. You know. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, but you know, later on you realize um, they might only be playing bad bar chords, but Bad Religion are killer guitar players. Right. Really, really good players. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though no, they are not grinding away on on the prog. You yeah. Know? So. <laughs> So what's like your preferred genre of music? Like, what do you go home and listen to? You know, I I, I default to <laughs> my for personal listening. Yeah, boy, this will 
you know, The Smiths, The Cure, Tears for Fears. Uh, I really gravitate just towards a lot of the early 90s and late 80s indie rock. You know, The Cure, The Smiths, um, uh, everything from Morrissey to all of the shoegaze, of course, I'm Mm -hmm. into with Slow Dive, Cocteau Twins, uh, Lush for sure. So that's my my pleasure listening, and maybe maybe these days also just going back to some classic rock, uh, Boston, Supertramp. Um, I've been for the last few years like really going deep and and re-listening to all of the Pink Floyd albums, you know, and rediscovering those, listening in a new way at at my old age, you know. So classic rock, late late eighties. Um, and indie rock. Okay. It's like a cleanse, cleanse too, after recording all kinds of wacky stuff all day, like to just yeah. go home and hear just that ACDC drum yes. beat. I need, I need to listen to something like I'm, I don't need to think about. Right, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've heard The Cure Disintegration a million times, and when I listen to it, I'm not thinking about, man, that kick drum sound could be better. You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, where if I'm listening to something new, that's exactly what I'm yeah, thinking. Yeah, the production. Yeah, the production of it. Yeah. You know? So, I mean, as a recorder, like, I mean, obviously you, you hear stuff differently now than when you did before you recorded stuff. Um, um, where was I going with that? I don't know. <laughs> you mean judging judging something on its production value, whether you like it or not? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I think I'm past that. Yeah. Like, I, I think I'm past that. I think in my 20s... It was very hard to listen to anything and not say, oh, man, you know, I don't know about that snare drum or, oh, wow, I really like that kick drum. That's great. And and I wasn't listening to the music or the, yeah. the song. I think now, you know, later in life, it's like, oh, I just don't care what they did yeah. recording-wise. I mm-hmm. don't even care anymore. I mean, is it a good song and am I relating to it? And has it got the mood I'm into? Yeah. So, so I think I'm past that. But in, I can see where anyone starting out and doing their own recordings certainly is like all of a sudden um, jaded by deciding on production values on everything they listen to. Yeah. I think you'll grow out of that, though. Yeah. yeah, a lot of things in life are like that too, where you you can really easily ruin something for yourself if yeah. you if you try to like look at the individual pieces of it. Like if you can't just yeah. stand back and appreciate Definitely. the whole. Yeah. Yeah. We'll definitely agree with that. Here's a question about, um, so you record here. Have you ever recorded at a different studio? Um, my, record uh, Not as an engineer. Mm-hmm. I've recorded as a player okay. in, in other studios and done guest spots and played guitar okay. on things that people wanted me to. As an engineer, engineering, nope, not since college. No, just, always just my own stuff. Yeah. You ever take stuff on the road to record? No, nothing mobile. Okay. Yeah. So just record here. Yeah. And, okay. This is cool. So um, let's see, where are we going next? Look at my list of questions here. I got, I got another one. <laughs> Give it to me. <laughs> what is the, what is the oldest loaf of bread that you have ever tried to, to replicate the exact bake of? Oh, I've done I've done Roman breads. Oh, yeah, yes. yeah. I I found a in an antique store. I found um this little pamphlet. They had this angry-looking lady on it from the 1950s, uh, written in the 50s, that was um, ancient breads. And 
how how much quality can you get out of flour, water, and salt only? Yeah. And 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 then just using different oils in a pan. They're flatbreads for sure. But um, uh, it's amazing to think, and I wonder how many people know how to do this, a handful of flour and a cup of water and a pinch of salt will feed you, Yeah. you know? Yeah. And I don't think people realize, like, it's that simple. But, you know, I mean, those people building the pyramids, they were fed just breads, you know, yeah. uh, or building the Parthenon, just breads, yeah. flat breads as fast as they could make them. It's a fascinating, ancient bread making is fascinating. It's that's hard. A little, <laughs> it's wild. A little hobby of mine. Yeah. Uh huh. How do you pick up a hobby like that? Well, um, it, it all starts with like, um, YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> like basically. Yeah. 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 Like just you know you stumble upon a YouTube video of somebody like making bread with, and then you're like, oh, I never did that before. You know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I like to try new things. Made my first cake this weekend. I never made a cake before. Oh, nice. congratulations! Oh, nice. Forty-six years old, never made a cake. Yeah, and I did it with my kids, so that's nice. cool. <laughs> I've got some uh, some hundred and fifty year old San Francisco Gold Rush sourdough starter at home. That I'm very excited oh, to start going. Okay, the yeast. Yep, I'm yeah. starting. I'm I'm doing. I'm going to do some sourdough. Some uh, yep. keep the hundred and fifty year old culture alive. It's a. It, I'll tell you this: bread making is. A thousand times more complicated than every button you see in this studio, and yet it's flour, water, salt. Yeah. It's yeah. crazy. But but the the temperature and and the the yeast and the rise and the many many different kinds of flours and the many different types of bakes, uh, bread making has got to be one of the highest level skills. Yeah, highest. If you really really go down the rabbit yeah. hole on it, yeah, it is like recording though. It is like putting together a song. Yeah. Because at the end, you get that loaf. It's like if I had flour, water, and salt in front of me, it's like, okay, True. that's like a riff. That's like a drum beat. Yeah. That's like a vocal. But and when you're all done, sometimes it's just a loaf. <laughs> <laughs> it, just as often, it turns out it turns out bad. Yeah. yeah. What's your preferred bread, then? My preferred bread? Oh, hmm. Well, it depends on what you're eating. You know, okay. yeah, uh, different breads like like wines go with different meals. Let's so. say a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. What kind of bread are we? I'd putting? go with Italian. Italian, yeah, really? Nice, I've nice, never tried that. Yeah, nice Italian bread. Mm -hmm. hmm. Peanut butter and jelly is really nice on a nice soft Italian. Mm -hmm. I'll have to try that. Yeah, I'll have to delve in. Back to music, though. <laughs> <laughs> I knew I was going to poison this interview. <laughs> Back to music, though. What was the first concert you went to? Talis at, really? at the uh, Gasport High School in 85, and there was 20 people there. Ooh, wow. And, and my older friend Jeff took me, and we went and saw Talis, and there was probably like 20, 25 people. It was in the high school auditorium, mm. and I think 20, there was 25, 25 people there. I think Talis just signed some recording contract yeah, or something. Yeah, they're going to do a new record. I just read that. Yeah. Yeah. There's some picture of Billy Sheehan signing a contract in a hotel room or something. Signing a three-foot-tall boot. <laughs> He's he always wearing those insane boots. So speaking of old people, what's the oldest age-wise band you've recorded? Like, well, artist members? or band? Artist. Uh, artist. I would. I, I, I vividly remember that. Ninety-two. Mm -hmm. oh. Ninety-two years old. 
there was this guy that showed up. It wasn't that long ago either. There was a guy who showed up here in his 50s, maybe late 50s, early 60s, mm-hmm. and uh, said, I want to book an hour or two for my dad. And I'm thinking, wow, you're your dad, huh? <laughs> okay. And I said, sure. And he said, my dad's my dad wrote, wrote and sang songs his whole life, and he's getting up there, and we want to record them. And I said, great. And we picked a day on the calendar. And sure enough, the two of them, boom, showed up at the door. And the dad was 92, and he had he had a 1940 Martin guitar that he bought in 1940. Wow. And on the edge of his guitar case, he had wheels so he could drag it. <laughs> he had put wheels through the guitar case. So he came in. And his son immediately left and said, I'll, I'll be back in a couple hours. i got to go run some errands. So I'm with this 92-year-old guy, and I set him down in a chair in the, in the booth and put a mic in front of him and in front of his guitar. And um, I said, yeah, just go ahead. And he, didn't, he almost didn't understand the idea of, like, wait to hit record, you know. So I was constantly signaling through the glass, like, wait, don't start the song. But I don't think he knew what I meant. Um, he would tell a little story about the song. I wrote this in 1962 when my first daughter was born, and this one's called Such and Such, you know, Lullaby. And he would sing and play the song. He knew like three chords, like C, G, and D, and every song was like that. Here's the cool part, though. So he came back into the control room when we were, quote, mixing, I guess, or making a CD for his son. Um, he was in the Navy in 1941 and two. And he told me what boat he was on. And I was like, cool. So I pulled my phone out, Googled up a picture of the boat, and handed it to him. Blew his mind. He hadn't seen a picture of that boat since the war. And he had no idea how how I found that on my phone. Right, right. So so then, as we're mixing one of the other 18 songs that he did live, I I pulled up... uh, pictures of the crew and found his bunkmate and his his sergeant and other people that he knew during the war and i kept handing the phone to him going do you know this guy do you know this guy and the look on his face was unbelievable he like he saw a ghost uh, I guess no one in his family ever bothered to Google what he had <laughs> done in the war, you know? Seems simple enough, but yeah. I was the first to think about it, I guess. Jeez. And uh, away he went, and that was the last I seen of him. He was 92. So that, How long ago was that? That was about four years, three or four years ago. That was a cool day, though. It was interesting talking to him and, uh, and showing him pictures of... I couldn't find his picture. Because he wasn't an officer. Only the officers had pictures. Yeah. But um, he knew a bunch of the people I found, though. So I know, you know, this is a job for you and whatnot. But do you ever feel, like, uh, like honored or, 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 you know, a similar feeling with the idea that someone's putting their, like, full artistic creation into your... Hands is yes. like, please yes. care for this. Yeah, like, it's amazing the similarities between what I do and what a tattoo artist does. Yeah, the similarities are amazing. Uh, you're dealing with someone's art, so I'm putting a, a recording down of it, or somebody else is putting a uh, a tattoo of it. You're dealing with their art, so that's the same kind of honor. 
you're also dealing with appointments <laughs> and and whether people can keep them or not. You're you know so you're dealing with that sort of clientele and schedule. Uh, but yeah, anytime anyone is hired for anything to deal with someone's art, there's definitely a level of trust there that's a little above and beyond most cleaning services oh, yeah. or, <laughs> or you know someone who might uh, yeah. vacuum for you or or uh, do something uh, as a as a paid service. So. Any artistic services, there's trust involved. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. and after all these years of six days a week, do you still get those moments that happen in here where, like, the feeling like shoots up your spine when you hear something like just, just right? Like, yeah, it, yeah. It, you know, I wish it happened more often. Yeah. You know, but uh, a few times a year, somebody wanders in or a band wanders in, and you're like, oh boy yeah this is incredible yeah this is fantastic yeah you know um and the shame of that is is these days the music might be fantastic but i know if there's nobody in that band that has the capability or the willingness to push 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 promote oh, yeah. nothing's going to happen with this incredible music yeah the music alone is not enough yeah it's not enough uh no matter how great it is you'd like to think well if it's good, people will find it. If you build it, they will come. Yeah. But not true. Uh, the the need to be as good of a promoter as you are a musician is about 50-50 these days, unfortunately. Yeah. it's It must be amazing to kind of... In your position, you, you, you kind of oversee it all, and you're just like, oh, man, I wish I could just defrag this situation. Like, yeah. Like yeah. somebody's somebody over here with, like... No point of view maybe is getting tons of limelight sure. because they are like chirp, 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 social media. Yep. They have the whole, and then Driven. like, and then just like some of the greatest music you ever heard is just dying on the vine. I've recorded a few records that I know were phenomenal, and I know other than the band's girlfriends and mom, that's the only people that heard it. You know, I have some of those recordings yeah. uh, that uh, simply no one, no one really heard. And yeah. they should have. Yeah. So. Yeah. So we had we had the oldest person. What's like the youngest artist that you've recorded? The youngest? Well, I've had I've had parents bring their kids in and, yeah. and sing a song for grandma for Christmas. Oh yeah. At at the age of four or five. Yeah. Which yeah. The, this, re- this record <laughs> this recording studio seemed a bit overkill for what they were trying to do. <laughs> I I you know, a couple parents have called me and little Johnny or Susie wants to sing uh, Jingle Bells for Grandma for Christmas, and I think, I'm pretty sure you could do that on your phone if you really wanted to, you know? So I've had a couple of five- and six-year-olds, you know, sing songs for Grandma. So I suppose that's the youngest. uh, Youngest in a band-wise, like more serious. Uh, You know, few, few 13 and 14 year olds. I want to say Mike Novak was really young on his yes, first yeah. on his first visit here yep i remember parents picking and dropping them off oh, yeah yeah I, I i can't say for sure how old he was but it was it was super young those guys were young yeah yeah i don't remember the name of the band he was in but it was, was it, that counter strike uh counter strike yeah, yeah counter strike a couple demos and then yeah. parade of the lifeless yeah he was yeah. the original drummer before jim yeah <laughs> they did a demo yeah and uh yeah, so 13 yeah. or 14 as far as bands go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't recall anyone younger 
in a band much more much younger than that this is a pretty it's pretty g there's not too many like swears and stuff around it's no actually actually um uh a lot of the swears in the stickers have been removed yeah yeah there there's there's almost none there you go yeah because yes uh, sometimes sometimes it's a family atmosphere here yeah <laughs> Very cool. <laughs> not, not not usually, but but sometimes. <laughs> so, um, what's the last con- concert you've been to? The very last one, uh, well, it would have been it been Rush. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't go out to many big concerts because, frankly, I think at this point my ears don't need it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, they really. I mean, earplugs and all is one thing. But I still come home from a big arena concert with my head rattling, yeah. and I have to wonder the next day how fresh I am, you know. Mm-hmm. So I'm just I'm just really trying to take it easy on the ears. That's what, I mean, I'd love to go out for a lot more local shows, especially things I've recorded and produced, and go to the CD release party. Seems yeah. like a natural thing that I might do. But the only thing keeping me back really is like, wow, just pound in my ears at the club <laughs> till about midnight yeah it's just it's just unneeded i i mean i'm i'm getting pounded all day every day and um i'm just conserving what i got yeah yeah <laughs> Have, are you in any bands now my my indie band makara's pen is still still around um mm-hmm. not very active at the moment my singer had a had a, a baby and i'm sure we're we're probably on hiatus for now and then i have my my um Metal band Circus Grenade, mm-hmm. which is certainly still together, uh, but I th- but every I think everyone else in the band's kind of got their more serious bands and they've been gigging with that and uh, no show offers have come along that made it seem like we should rehearse for another three weeks and call my guys in from Rochester to yeah. to, to play in front of four kids <laughs> at the Evening Star, so it just didn't it just hasn't seemed quite worth it to put it in 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 uh, in gear, yeah. That makes sense. I yeah, mean, we're, a, but we're still together. We like to, you know, yeah. have, haven't done a show in a year though. So yeah, Did you practice recently? No, but we record. We've done some recording. Okay. Yeah, mm-hmm. that is cool. Guy, think Gus. I don't know. Out of any of the bands you've been in, what's uh, probably your favorite show you've ever played? I would. I would say. My favorite band I've ever been in, I think, is Circus Grenade, my my metal band. When when Circus Grenade is firing on all cylinders, it's magic. It's almost trance-like. You know, the, mm-hmm. all the riffs become muscle memory, mm-hmm. and there ain't many of them. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you can only crunch just so many ways. But but when it when it's good, it's great. And uh, as far as favorite show goes, I won't I won't say anything about crowd attendance i played some big shows with indie bands in front of lots of people but mm-hmm. i would say like my some of my favorite shows are when circus grenade was the most rehearsed mm-hmm. and there was just a, a friday night broadway joe's show that we played and we just happened to be on point you know mm-hmm. like happened to kill it those are my favorite you know uh even though certainly there was 25 people enjoying it and that's about it you know but yeah. My favorite shows are when the band was really firing right. Yeah. Your own personal satisfaction yes. of, yeah. of, of putting a good, yes. good thing. It out didn't there. matter who was there and who saw it, you know. Yeah. It was mm-hmm. it was um because I've, I've I some of my indie bands have played some festivals and there was lots of people there and stuff that 
overall. That doesn't always mean. Yeah, it doesn't yeah. doesn't mean it was a good show. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So Circus Grenade firing on all cylinders, doing well. I'd say he's probably my favorite. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Let's uh let's talk about uh some hobbies that you have. <laughs> Got a lot of them. A lot of them. I, I yeah. Tell me about like uh, the things you do for your cats. Well, we uh, we 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 have a, an Instagram. Shout yes. out to Catio Shout out Living. Catio Catio Living. C A C A T I O Living on Instagram is our cat channel. Mm-hmm. Um, we've we built a catio, which we did some videos on, and we're approaching uh, two hundred fifty thousand views on our on our catio videos. Um, Catio Living has a channel, but uh, the some of those cat videos are also on the Watchman Studios YouTube channel, um, mm-hmm. which was a mistake because all the the views went to that and not Catio Living. But <laughs> <laughs> anyways, so certainly uh, we're big cat people. Um, uh, we my wife and I have a horse ranch, so we have horses. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's horses to take care of, cats to take care of. I like to paint. Uh, I don't consider myself much of an artist, but I do enjoy oil painting. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm an inventor. I uh, I've been building um, uh, manure shakers that I saw that on, on, yeah, on Facebook. So I've been trying to invent the perfect manure shaker, which is still in R and D development. Uh, we're working on that. Um, I collect antiques and and um, uh, uh, I collect. Um, American GI World War One and World War Two personal photos out of mm-hmm. antique stores, and I got thousands under plastic. Mm-hmm. So it all started years ago, where um, uh, I'd be in a uh, antique store. We're just yeah. we're just uh, looking around, uh, and I would notice these GI photos from World War Two for ten cents and fifteen cents, and I started collecting them in the nineties. Yeah, and now there's just thousands and thousands under plastic, uh, which is pretty cool. Uh, just mm-hmm. forgotten, forgotten photos of somebody that passed away, and the family didn't really want any of their belongings, and they mm-hmm. ended up in an estate sale. And I buy, I buy the photos. So, do you only buy those like at antique stores, or do you ever like buy them like on eBay or anything like that? I I have bought them on eBay before, mm-hmm. a lot like a, a batch of them. Yeah. But it's like it's less satisfying because mm-hmm. um, uh, you didn't find them yourself. And I like to travel all around, like from when we take vacations from Maine all the way to Kentucky and in Florida and in uh, Pennsylvania. Adamstown. Um, yeah. Shout out to Adamstown. Adamstown, PA. Yes, and that's the antique capital. Um, I like that my photos are from all different places where when you buy a batch, you'll find that it's one person or two people mm-hmm. all doing the same pose. And, and I only need one, one picture of the guy. I, would, I don't need 50 yeah. of the same guy. Yeah. yeah. So the, the batches are usually from only one person, one area, or one family. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I like to find it myself, I guess. Yeah, yeah that, that makes sense. It's definitely more satisfying yeah. that way. Even with music these days, you know? It's, yeah. It was better finding stuff rather than, like, having a, being kind of told what the, you know, this person says this or links you to this and yeah. all that stuff. It's a lot different now, which is, or, you know, I don't know, I guess it was cooler back then. But. It's, ma- it's magical because of how easy it is, but it's le- it gives you less of a dopamine boost because how easy it is to find things. Yeah. So you find yourself find, 
wanting to find things in the retro way, you know, mm-hmm. like I want to find it the old way. I find and, myself completely disregarding immediately anything that's popular. Yeah. Cause well, it couldn't possibly be good cause it's so popular, <laughs> yeah. you know? Yep. Yeah. Like that might be distract- true though. That's a distraction. <laughs> yeah. I got to get past that and find the real thing. Yeah. The, yeah. There, if you know, if it's on the radio and everyone's loving it, well, there's no way that I'm going to like it. So, yeah. but you know, I, you, it's easily it's easy to be proved wrong on stuff like that. Sure. Every now and then, you know, you will finally stumble across that thing on the radio and go, oh, "That's pretty cool." Yeah, I should have, I should have listened a little closer. You know, when's the last time that happened? Cold, Coldplay. <laughs> oh yeah, 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 yeah. Coldplay is a band that at first you're like, "Oh, you know, what yeah. is this?" And then the more you listen, you're like, "How are these guys popular? Like, this is really." good i like it you know <laughs> doesn't, doesn't seem like everyone else should like it if, if i like it i don't know how that happened they were all caught in that in yeah. that cycle I, I like when you uh when you hear something in a in a movie or a tv show and you're like that's a good song what is that yeah. and you shazam it up and you're like i personally said this band sucks <laughs> yeah i'm like i have i've ripped on arctic monkeys so bad yeah. but there it is there so it is i liked it enough to look it up <laughs> definitely happens so it might just be in context then yeah exactly (laughs) have you recorded uh well you said phoenix was the farthest place so i guess there's no countries farther than phoenix except you've obviously recorded canadian bands Mm -hmm. i'm guessing yeah Mm -hmm. did the new uh uh chokehold record oh yeah yeah Yeah. very cool yeah chokehold uh record came out which i don't have a copy of uh Hint, hint on Shout out to Chokehold. Let's get Chris let's, Logan. Let's get yeah, this in here. Get the post office, bud. <laughs> I don't actually own one. Uh, there, there was an email going around a while back. They were going to send one, but I, I would like to hang it on the wall for, for somebody to send right. me one. Yeah. Um, so Canadian, yeah, out of country bands. Uh no, just a, just a Canadian band. I had a, I had a band from Mexico get a hold of me. A death metal band from Mexico. Flirting with the idea of coming up to me, I'm not even sure why, but yeah. they they seemed to have it in their head that they wanted to come here and had heard something. I, I was yeah. like, wow, it's a long ways and a big commitment, but if you know if you want to, yeah. but it it never it never transpired. So I talked to one band that, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. you know. I've done some mastering for overseas bands, yeah, yeah. over the internet, and that's about as close as I've gotten. Has there ever been like a band where like? It like just wasn't working, and you just had to like stop it, or they stopped it. I don't know. Like, yeah, well, it's um, there's a lot of bands that come here that it's not working, <laughs> Fair but but we we power through it. Yeah, it doesn't mean the outcome's good, but uh, only a couple of times I was recording. A band I was fairly close to and had worked with, and I knew that their level of what they would be satisfied and the quality that they're going to want wasn't rehearsed up enough and wasn't ready. And mm. I and I actually, we, we got midway through the day. Everyone's super frustrated. The material wasn't nearly uh, put together as, as much as they thought. Mm-hmm. And I was like, hey, let's just call it even. You know, like, let's book a different day. Don't worry about paying me for today. You know, let's just, let's, let's just call it even. It's only happened a couple of times and they came back a month later and it was awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, but a lot of bands come here and it's not working, but 
we're going to finish. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I don't know them as well. You send, right. The old send the bass player out for Mighty Taco. Yeah. And, uh, oh. and, the, and the guitar player steps in. Yeah. <laughs> Say, go get some Mighty Taco and <laughs> hurry up and plug that bass in. Yeah. Fair enough. Oh, um, I think unless you guys have anything else, I think I think we've done this. I I do want one for the for the for the gear nerds out okay. there. Doug, Doug and I share a love for Boss effects pedals. It's hard to think outside the Boss. There's a lot of stuff out there now, but like Boss is still the one, the tank. Mm-hmm. What is your number one favorite Boss pedal of all time? RV5. 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 Yeah. RV5 Reverb has the modulate setting. Oh, yeah. And no other pedal seems to have that sound. They have a few things like that in their catalog where they're just like, everyone's just like, oh, yeah, 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 boss is the standard. Like, they have a distortion, they have this, they have mm-hmm. that. But then there's these sneaky little things that they have in there, and they're not a boutique company. Yes. They're a, a full production company. For the gear people out there, um, I've had r- real pedal guys come in here yeah. that have a, a board full of amazing things. And I've had people even email me saying, Doug, you're a little close-minded on only Boss pedals, and there's a lot of other stuff out there that's far better, but I can only say I only want to buy one adapter. Yeah, okay? exactly. That is really the full crux of... Yeah. I, I cannot deal with 20 different adapters. Yep. All the Boss take the same adapter. Yep. And, the same uh, exact shape and size yeah. of every pedal, the, the uniformity. Yeah. yeah. I don't claim that they're the, the greatest in, in every department. Sure. No. No, but but they're consistent, and I only have to buy one adapter. Yeah, exactly. You nerds. Yeah. <laughs> here's here's the one question I have though. Um, what's the strangest thing that you've recorded? Mister Shifty. <laughs> what's that? Oh, <laughs> there was this one kid who used to come in, and I'm gonna say he was on the spectrum. Yes. Okay. And he would be, bring, he would book a whole day, big, fat, eight-hour day. He would bring a box of all kinds of stuff. And he would lay out a blanket in the, in the booth and take out all his things. And he had um, pie tins, and he had uh, spoons, and he had paper and plastic. And, and he would... I, I I put three mics over top of them, kind of like an overhead of a drum set, you know? And he would sit there and just make, like, funny sounds and rattles and and wiggle things and stuff. And he was very specific. Um, like, I would say to him, okay, how long's this next piece you're going to do? And he's like, this is 12, 12 minutes. 12 minutes. So he would go in there and he would rattle stuff and make noises and and he would get done and then he would come in and listen and like seven minutes into hearing when he would scratch the cardboard he would go no nah, i gotta do that again that's not <laughs> no nah, that's not right wow. that's, that's not right at all and i would look at him and go okay yeah <laughs> I, I i yeah i think you could do that better and he would go back in for another 12 minutes, and he would redo it. And he made CDs for his friends of that stuff. Wow. Yeah. yeah. I think there's a name for that genre. If you can help me out, there's... Uh, it's like... Um, 
outsider, outsider arts or music. something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, there's the circuit bender guys mm. yep, yep. who take pieces of machinery and manipulate it and make cool sounds and stuff. Mm-hmm. So it's not it's not exactly circuit bending, but it's it's strange that you find somebody in a genre like that who still wants to leave their home and come to a recording studio, a, yeah. a, a separate location to mm-hmm. do that. Because I feel like most experimental yes. musicians of every kind, they kind of figure out a way to do it in their in their hidey hole at home, yes, where and they I can think just they, do it all day long. I think they do. I want to say that this kid was was quite poor. Yeah, yeah. yeah mm-hmm. I think. And he saved up uh, to come here. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. and yeah, miss, and um, and he he did full length CDs too. Yeah. Wow. yeah. He's hey man, this is where Gym Class Heroes recorded. You know, I'm gonna <laughs> yeah. do. I don't know if that was on his mind. But... <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. All right. Cool. Thank you, Doug, for being on the podcast. Yeah, that was fun. Thanks for having me. Yeah. And uh, till next time, this has been the HMNI Fanzine Podcast. Thanks.